Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. Well, again, good morning. Welcome. We're glad you're here, and pray that God will really bless and encourage you in this time together. There was a ship going down in a storm, and the captain called out to the crew, Does anyone here know how to pray? And one young man raised his head and said, Yes, sir, I, I know how. And the captain said, Good. You pray while the rest of us put on our life jackets because we're one short. And that story maybe points out a couple of realities about prayer. First, while recent studies show that a little more than half of all Americans say they pray every day, many folks are uncomfortable praying or praying in certain situations. And that became very clear, if you recall, earlier in our year, we had a series called Unstuck, and we asked you to share with us some of the things that were challenges and struggles in your life. And there were a number of people who talked about prayer. And that points to a second reality about prayer. What, when people say they're uncomfortable praying, it often means that they're unsure how to pray, what to pray. Am I praying the right way? Am I going to be offensive? And Am I going to make a fool out of myself? And And... So we want to look at that this morning. As Tom reminded us last week, God, our Creator, wants a relationship with every one of us. And prayer is one of the primary ways that happens. But as he reminded us, one of the ways that we can make space for this in our lives is to better understand then how to pray. And, and the good news is, Jesus understood that, and He teaches us how. He taught His disciples how. He modeled it for his followers, how to commune, how to communicate with God. And what's been in a, in a sermon that the, the church is called the Sermon on the Mount, found in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, the first gospel of the New Testament. And it's called the Sermon on the Mount because he preached it on the side of a mountain. So it's just kind of descriptive. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to begin in verse 5. If you don't have a Bible with you on your uh, app, you can use the YouVersion Bible app. If you don't have either of those, we have an insert in your bulletin that has uh, uh, the Scriptures there and notes and places to, to take some notes. So Jesus begins here in verse 5. He says, And when you pray, and when you pray. Now, notice right off the bat, He's not saying if you pray. He says, when. He shows us, he just, there's this assumption with Jesus that his followers are going to pray. The Gospels show us Jesus praying often. We see it in the New Testament. The writers of the New Testament talking about it, teaching about it. And prayer, quite honestly, is just talking and listening to God. We want to make it sometimes complicated. We want to say, but we've got to say all these certain words or we've got to do certain things. But ultimately, prayer is just talking and listening to God. Prayer is, if the person next to you were God, I'm pretty sure they're not. But, but if they were and you turned to them and you just said, how's your day? Or where are we going for lunch? Or uh, talked about something that you've been talking about the other day. If that was God, that would have been prayer. It's that simple. We, we want to make it hard sometimes. We want to change it or say we've got to do something right. We don't have to use all these fancy words. I, I, you know. and, and so Jesus talks to us about this. 
the first thing he does is he tells us what not to do when we're when we pray. So looking again here, verses five and six, he says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. So the first thing Jesus tells us is we don't pray to impress. We don't pray to impress. We don't pray to look good. We don't pray to impress God. We don't pray to impress those around us. In fact, he says those who try to impress others or try to impress God with fancy words or trying to sound super spiritual are hypocrites. Impressing others then becomes the whole reward. He says, that's your reward. You made somebody impressed. It's nothing about God's going to listen to you or God's going to help you in your prayer. Now, the only reward is you've impressed somebody, maybe, because God's not going to listen to that kind of prayer. Jesus brings us back here to why we're praying. What's our motive? Is it to impress someone or is it to connect with God? Is it to be honest and authentic with Him? And that's why he tells us we may need, in fact, to even pray on our own. I remember growing up early on, and it was a different time and a different place, and people would pray. And some of these, some of these preachers had these, first they had this really deep, sonorous, deep voice, you know. And, and they would say, Thou Father, and Thine, and, and they would use this grand language. And you'd listen to it, and well, for, for one thing, I didn't understand them. But, but two, I, looked, I listened to that, and I thought, how, Gosh, that sounds so pretty. There's no way I could ever pray like that. And, and it wasn't that they were trying to be hypocritical. Often it was, it was who they were and what they grew up with. But times have changed. And if we think that we have to sound a certain way, we kind of miss the point. And that's why we may need to pray on our own, to pray in some quiet place. He, he's not saying that praying out loud is wrong. Because Jesus himself does it in other settings. We see him do it. But he's saying that it's our motives that really matter. Then he goes on in verse 7 and he says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. In other words, Jesus tells us we don't pray thoughtless babble. In fact, some of your Bibles, if you look in your Bible, some of your Bibles, in fact, even use the word babble instead of empty phrases. Because pagans in the time of Jesus believed that they could, essentially, they could manipulate their gods by stringing together long phrases and and lots of words together and keep repeating formal phrases over and over again. And the very act of repeating those things would somehow obligate God to, to their God to respond. Now, let me put the other side of the face to this. We're not not saying that formal prayers or long prayers are wrong. Not saying that that doesn't happen or shouldn't happen. they, They can and should as long as we mean it. But when I say a formal prayer because I've always said it and I race it through my mind, you know, I had a friend who used to say, come Lord Jesus, feed us now. I can't even remember what he said. But he, he said it so fast, he wasn't listening to what he was saying, you know. Um, 
if we think I'm going to somehow impress God with lots of words and I'm going to impress him with something I heard the preacher say today and yet it, it hasn't clicked for me. It's, it, it's not going to work. Jesus not saying, though, that, that formal prayers, written out prayers are wrong. He's not saying that classical prayers are not what we should do. He's not saying that even long prayers are, are a mistake. In fact, we know from Scripture that Jesus at time prayed all night. So, I mean, it's not about length. It's not about the formality. It's about the intention. Am I praying it or am I saying it? And those are two very different things. The Bible tells us in Colossians, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. In other words, we pay attention to what we're saying. First Thessalonians says, never stop praying. I, I, I think of prayer often throughout my day is this running conversation with God that he's alongside me he's with me and and he's there just as he was with Adam and Eve in the garden of Eden and as he will do again with all of us who are followers of Jesus in heaven and here's the thing he already knows our thoughts he already knows what's going on it's not like you you pray something saying oh my gosh that was the first time I ever knew that oh that was a surprise I never saw that one coming I mean, if God is omnipotent, omniscient, if he stands outside of time and space, he already knows. The question is, are we willing to talk? Or are we trying to impress him? Because if if he already knows, but I'm telling him nothing's wrong, when in fact my world is crumbling around on the inside, that's that's not genuine prayer. He wants to hear us say the truth. He wants us to stop putting on airs. He wants us to be who we are, to be flesh and blood human. So Jesus tells us these things not to do. Then he tells us then how to pray and what the church has historically called the Lord's Prayer. Some of you know this prayer. Some of you grew up praying it. Some of you may pray it every week or every day. Jesus gives us this, and he he starts it like this in verse 9. He says, pray then like this. Now notice, he doesn't say, pray this. He says, pray then like this. In other words, here's a model I'm giving you. Here's a method. Here's an approach to prayer. It doesn't mean you have to use my words. It just means here are things to consider as you pray. And yes, you and I may pray these exact words if we mean them. But if we're simply repeating them by rote and we're just racing through them because somehow we think we're going to impress God by saying them, then Jesus says actually what we've done is we've fallen into babbling. Babbling. And Jesus says, don't do that. So, he says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, or hallowed be your name. Now, in the the original Greek language, which this was first written in, the word Father can also be translated Daddy. 
In other words, the term has a, a sense of intimacy, of, of, of personalness, of affection, of love. It is not some distant father figure who upholds some some role. It's someone that you know that is close to you, that matters, that you have a relationship. And so right from the beginning, Jesus is telling us prayer occurs in relationship with God. It's not meant to be something where I just recite some stuff. It's meant to be a, a, a communication, a back and forth. Many of us have have heard or referred to God as Father. But, but as far as we can tell, Jesus was the first to actually pray that way. The Jews acknowledged He could be Father, but they didn't really talk to God that way. At the same time, though, Jesus tells us to hallow God's name. Now, hallow is the verbal form of the word holy. And, and, and holy here he's talking about we are to recognize and treat God with, with wonder and awe and, and treat him with reverence because there's none other like him. Holy means unlike anything or anyone else. I mean, God is spirit. We're flesh. God is infinite. We are finite. God is all-powerful, and we're very limited in what we can do. Everything about God is different. He is holy. And if we stand and understand that, if we understand how good He is and how loving He is, it may be even intimidating. But at least it should inspire reverence. And that's that sense here of, of reverence. The, the Jews understood this part of it, but what Jesus uniquely showed His disciples is that this, this transcendent, all-powerful Creator God loves each one of us so much. That he wants a relationship, a personal relationship with you. He, he, he doesn't want you to be afraid, like, so I can't talk to him. He wants you to talk with him, to walk with him and talk with him and, and know that he knows your name. To see him as your heavenly father, your daddy. So in this first phrase, Jesus holds together two of the most significant aspects of God's nature. His holiness and His love. And He's showing that both of them matter. It's not an either or. It's a both and. Then Jesus goes on in verse 10 to say, Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, it was, it's typical often in Old Testament writings and sometimes in the New Testament for, for writers or speakers to say the same thing twice as a way to emphasize. So what he has done here is when Jesus says, your kingdom come, and then comma, your will be done, he's really repeating himself. He's really saying the same thing. They're parallel statements because God's kingdom exists wherever God's will is done. Now, kingdoms we often think of as, as a boundary line, you know, and somebody's surveyed it or they put a fence up or something like that. But the kingdom of God is found wherever God's will is done. Are you doing God's will? The kingdom of God is among you. If you have no interest in God's will, then the kingdom is not there in your midst. And so what he is calling us to is to do God's will to do what God would have us to do, to do what God wants, to do what people of His kingdom would do. He tells us that we should pray for that. There was a fellow who'd uh, 
gone on a diet. And, and, and he'd done pretty well. He'd stuck to it pretty well. He'd been doing okay. But it, it hadn't been easy. And he had a, a, a meeting downtown. And he, and he knew that the route he was going to go was going to take him by a donut shop. And he loved donuts. I mean, he just he loved them. He said, you know, it, it sure would be nice to stop and have a, get a coffee and a couple of donuts on the way. But, you know, he was a, he was a godly man, and, and he said, but I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm on my diet. I need to pray about this. So he said, God, if you want me to stop for a donut, just let there be a parking place right in front. And you know what? The seventh time around the block... Here's the thing. Praying God's will is not about me laying out my plans, my desires, my wants, and saying, okay, God, would you bless those? That's not praying God's will. That's praying my will. It's in What Jesus is calling us to is to seek God's plan, God's will, believing that because He is the Creator, because He is all-knowing, all-powerful, it is right and best for me. So even though I may want something else, or I'm not even sure, I say, God, as Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus says God's will is fully lived out in heaven. It's what, it's what they do. And someday when Jesus returns, it will be here on earth too. And so we're to pray for that. We're to pray for what will be in heaven comes to pass here on earth. When all will be made right and the sin that got us thrown out of the Garden of Eden will be destroyed and we'll enjoy a new garden here on earth, a new heaven, a new earth, as the, as the last two chapters of Revelation show. And so for now, though, we have this choice to pray for His will, His will to obey Him, what especially He reveals in Scripture, um, to allow His kingdom to reign in me through Jesus by the power of His Spirit, or, or I can decide I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait till Jesus comes back. I'm going to try to catch Him just beforehand. And unfortunately, since no one knows when that's going to be, that might not be a very wise decision. Because what Scripture does tell us, too, is that when He does return, those of us who have not been consciously praying God's will, will start. We will pray. The Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But the problem is, because we didn't choose that, the result is not heaven, but hell. It's not a place you and I want to be. And so he calls us now to pray that his will be done. Now, in my life, in my church, in my community. May I be an ambassador of the kingdom of God wherever I go. Now, notice as we've gone through the first part of this prayer that the focus has been on God's name, 
God's kingdom, God's will. In other words, when Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray, he shows them that prayer starts by putting God first. Jesus shows us then only after we have put God first, only after we have honored him, only after we have started with him and who he is and what he wants, do we then turn to ourselves and to our needs. And yet often we do it just backwards, don't we? Or we don't even do the the God part at all. And I'm not saying there aren't times where you and I shouldn't be lifting up a 911 prayer, okay? God, help me uh, avoid this accident. Or, or, or God, help me say the right thing and so I don't make somebody mad. Those are part of the kind of the ongoing daily things. But there is a part of prayer, of, of daily prayer, that has to be more than that. So Jesus goes on in verse 11. He says, give us this day our daily bread. Now, daily bread here... We could dig for we could do we could do a whole message just on each one of these phrases, honestly. But essentially, daily bread here is more than physical food, although that would certainly be part of it, especially in first-century Palestine, where many of the people were day laborers. In other words, what you earned that day was what you fed your family the next day. That, that it was it was that simple. And fortunate for us here in this country. Most of us don't live that way. But in other parts of the world, that is still just as true. There are many people who are surviving that day so that this prayer really is about food. But it could also be for you and me about patience. God, give me patience today. Or it could be about focus or it, it, it could be about integrity. God, today I know I'm going to encounter a situation at work or I'm going to encounter someone at school in which I'm going to be challenged to, to maintain my integrity. Today, God, I'm not talking about tomorrow, but today give me what I need for this day. It may be faith. It may very well be faith. In other words, he's telling us not to pray for what we want or for whatever we want. As one commentator put it, he said, the prayer is for our needs, not our greeds. And I thought that's a great phrase to remember. And yet at the same time in asking, it's also a prayer of faith, of trust, believing that God will provide whatever we need for Today, for this day. But again, the focus is on this day. God God certainly has the capability to provide us everything we will ever need for all time. He could lay it out in a pile and said, there you go, you got everything you need. But the problem is, if he lays out in a pile, I'm very tempted to become self-sufficient. I'm very tempted to do it on my own, to take it. What he wants is for me to each day turn to him. Each day trust him. Each day turn and say, today, Father, provide me that which I need to get through this day. That's how we live by faith. And that's what he's calling you and me to. Then in verse 12, he goes on to say, and forgive us our debts as we have also have forgiven our debtors. And then I'm going to add 14 and verses 14 and 15 because they're really related to it. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, 
Debts and trespasses here both refer to sin, to sins. Jesus is telling us an important part of praying is confessing our sins, is, is to express sorrow to God when we've done something wrong, to repent for our sins, to seek forgiveness from Him, as well as to forgive others who have sinned against us. Sin, by its very nature, creates separation between us and God and others. If I do some, if I call somebody a name, if I do something hurtful to the relationship, it's not like everything's hunky dory. We're all fine. There's some distance. There's some separation, and it takes forgiveness to bring us back together. And that occurs vertically with God as well as horizontally with each other. Now, God already knows our sins. We're not telling Him something He doesn't know. You know. Again, it's not like, I didn't know you sinned like that. I had no idea. I I thought you were better than that. God is not looking at us like that. He is not condemning us in that kind of way. But He does want to see if we are willing to humble ourselves and admit it for the sake of our soul. Am I honest with God? I mean, I'm already thinking it. I'm already thinking stuff that isn't always right. Am I willing to say to God, here's what I want to be, but here's what I'm struggling with. Here's what's going on in my head. Here's what I'm fighting, and I don't understand, and I don't know what to do about it, God. Here's what... God has offered us the gift of forgiveness, even of those things. He's given us forgiveness that we don't deserve. And because we don't deserve it, and yet He paid the price for us by Jesus' death on the cross to win that forgiveness for us, He looks at us really kind of askance when we fail then to offer that same forgiveness to somebody else who has done something wrong to us. Did what you do wrong cost somebody their son? Well, what the human race did, all of us, is we cost Jesus his son. And yet he forgives us. Is there anything worse? And so I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying if something, somebody's done something horrible to you that you have to just smile and grin and say, Oh, I'm so happy. And No. Say, God... I don't understand it. This is really hard. I, I am so angry. I am so upset. But I know you call me to forgive. And I am telling you, I am struggling to forgive. Help me to forgive. Help me. Now that's honest. That's where we live. And that's prayer. That's what God is calling us to. He wants us to be able to forgive others or we won't be able to receive his forgiveness we'll think there's a catch we'll if if it's not if it's not by grace from us to others we're going to always assume it's not by grace from him and we will not be able to do it jesus wants us to be freed from the shackles of guilt and shame anger and bitterness even hate that warps our souls if we don't receive his forgiveness or if we don't forgive another And just carry that garbage around on the inside of us. And some of you are doing that right now. You're carrying garbage. There's somebody you can't forgive. 
There's somebody you're angry with. They hurt you. Yes, they hurt you. Yes, it was wrong. Forgiveness is not ultimately even about right or wrong. It's about how God helps restore relationships. Because as far as I can tell, there's not a single one of us who hasn't sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's not a single one of us who hasn't messed up with our relationship with God and our relationship with every other person around us at some point, given enough time. So am I going to be holier than thou? Or am I going to give the grace that I have received? Then Jesus says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And he isn't telling us here to pray against God who for some reason is tempting us to sin. In fact, James, the half-brother of Jesus, in his letter in the New Testament wrote, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Jesus is telling us to pray that other, that God helps us avoid those desires that do tempt every single one of us, one way or another, to sin. And, and sin always leads to some destructive action or activity or, or reality in our lives. Some of it's big, some of it's small, but it all adds up. And, and this is the work of the devil. In fact, many of your translations, as you're looking at your Bible, it says, it, it says deliver us from the evil one rather than just evil. Inference being here that there is an evil power, a being who seeks to tempt us into sin and lead us away from God. But as followers of Jesus Christ, our desire, our prayer is that, that we receive God's supernatural power to discern and avoid the temptations of the devil. Here's the thing. If you and I think we can overcome the devil on our own, if we think we're so smart that we can see through his wiles, then we are putting ourselves on the level of a God because the devil is supernatural and you and I are natural. He, is, he knows more. He's smarter. He's not better. And he is defeated by God. He doesn't have the final say. But if you and I think that we're smart enough, then we are just playing his game. We are playing his game. And so we have to place ourselves at God's mercy to humbly confess how we fall short and how much we need him in order to do his will on earth as it is in heaven. Now, if you learned the Lord's Prayer going up or have learned it since, you, you probably also learned an additional phrase that goes for thine or yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, I just want to tell you, if you notice, that's, that, that phrase is not in your Bible. Now, in some of the, the, the newer ver- copies of that Greek manuscript, That phrase was added in. But when they go back and they look at the oldest versions, that line was not there. And we go by what we believe to be the original scripture, and so we go by that. And and yet the early church discerned that it was a valuable phrase. It's not like, well, we should throw it away. Just because it's not in scripture doesn't mean it's wrong or bad. But it's not scripture. It doesn't carry quite the same weight. But the early church discerned through the leading of the Holy Spirit that this phrase, while not Holy Scripture, was valuable. And so it was at an early date 
it was added into the prayer. And that's what many of us have prayed. That, that is a part of our prayer. Jesus tells us then that this prayer, the, what we call the Lord's Prayer, serves as a model for prayer. It's not, it's not just the exact words we pray, although we can pray those words. We can pray those words out loud. We can pray them silently, provided we mean them, provided we do it. But we can also use it as a model to, to point us to elements that ought to be included in our daily prayer life for our relationship with God. And it's not the only model. It's the one that's found in the Bible. But there's, there's another model that I've used at times. Some of you have heard me talk about it called the Acts prayer model. I use it because I found it easy to use because it's just a few words rather than the whole phrase. And yet it has the basic elements of the Lord's prayer. The only problem with it is, is when I learned it, I was younger and and some of the words today aren't as common as they were then, but I want to share them with you in case it's helpful for you. So it's A-C-T-S. It's an acronym. The A stands for adoration. In other words, praise. What did Jesus do when he started his prayer? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Start with praise. We said that prayer should begin that way. Next, the C, or the next word is confession with a C. Because we come to God after we praised him and acknowledge who we are and how we've fallen short and that we need his forgiveness through Jesus' death on the cross. Then we come to the third word, thanksgiving. With a T. Now, this Thanksgiving is not the fourth Thursday of November. The, that word became capitalized in the 1600s, But it was a little case T long before that in the Bible where it called for us to express thanks to God, to, to thank Him daily, to thank Him for all that He has done. And so it, it, he, has, he has created us. He has adored us and loved us. He has forgiven our sins for heaven's sake. We ought to be thanking him. And then we come to the fourth word, supplication with an S. And I, that's, a, that's a word I probably none of us use anymore. And, and I put in parentheses petitions or requests. In other words, these are your prayer requests now. Uh, these are needs. These are our concerns for others. And yet it's always in the context of having praised God, of confessing my sins, of seeking forgiveness, of thanking God for all the ways he's already blessed me. One of the struggles we have with, with prayer, though, in the midst of all this is we pray this stuff, and then we don't understand why some of our prayers, which we, we think sound good, we think, gee, God ought to want to do that. Or it seems like that's what Scripture is saying, and yet it's not happening. Or, in fact, it even seems like the opposite is happening. And, and so we, we, get, we, we get frustrated with that and we struggle with that. And so next week, as a third part of this, we're going to look specifically at how God does answer prayer. Because we need to look at that, too, if we're going to understand this whole prayer thing. But, but turning back to how we do it then, because prayer is, at its most basic level, talking with God... It's then about just making space in my daily life. It's about when I'm driving in the car. It's, it's when I'm sitting between bells at class. It's when I'm sitting at home uh, and not doing anything. It's when I'm just taking a break for a second. It's taking that time to be real and authentic with God. There are no wrong words 
or wrong thoughts, even if it's an awful thought, even if you're, even if you're thinking somebody did something to you and, and you have an expletive-filled thought going toward them. Okay, that's the truth, isn't it? Don't say, oh, God, I lay that before you. I know what I thought. I didn't say it, or maybe I did. But you've already heard it. It's not like, oh, well, God's going to pretend he didn't hear. It's already there. And that's how he can help us and hold us accountable to change not just our words, but our thoughts, which change our feelings, which change our lives. All we have to do is look at some of the Psalms. King David is in there, and, and, and these are really, some of them are his prayers. And he's telling, he's telling God at times, I want you to go kill that so-and-so. I hate their guts. And we would say, That's, you shouldn't pray like that. Doggone it, it's in the Bible. It doesn't mean we lift it out of context and say, okay, it's okay to pray like that. We look at it in the setting and see people really think those things. I'm not weird. And God offers us, he's fine with us being honest. As long as we turn to him and we ask him for help. Sometimes it's an, sometimes we, it's going on in an ongoing discussion. Sometimes it's just a 911 prayer. Sometimes it's marveling at something he's done. But, but scripture says never stop praying. A man and his wife were, were talking about prayers. They were driving around. And the man said, you know, I, I do some of my best praying while I'm driving. And she said, you know, honey, you, that's exactly right. I do some of my best praying when you're driving too. Those ongoing prayers are great opportunities. And yet we also need times of disciplined, intentional prayer. And, and, and the Lord's Prayer or the Acts model gives us a way to do, to do that, to be intentional. Yes, I'm going to be talking to God throughout the day, but, but let me set the foundation of what's important and what matters today. So in addition to talking to God throughout the day, I, I typically spend some time with Him each morning after reading my Bible. I, I, do, I read my Bible first because there are some things that come out of Scripture that, in fact, I'm going to pray. If you don't know what to pray, pray Scripture. That's a great, great tool right there. Pray Scripture. But I also keep a written list of prayer concerns. You know, I used to think I'm smart enough. I ought to be able to remember this stuff. Somebody come up to me and say, pray for so-and-so. And I'm, I'm going to pray. And I'll tell you, I forgot. Not because I wanted to forget. I just did. And I have found that those things that really matter, if I don't write them down. Now, I'm not saying that's you. But for many of us, it may be. And so on my phone, I have in my notes thing, I have my list of prayers. And I, I look at it every time I do my prayer time. And, and I have people in there that I'm praying for. If you remember, nearly two years ago, we prayed for a bunch of people, for hundreds or over a thousand people to come to faith in Christ. You listed names. And I came up with my three names. And those three names are still on my list. They, as far as I know... Not one of them has come to faith in Jesus Christ yet. But I am told to pray and I will continue to pray until either I die or until they come to faith. Whether it's through me or through anybody else. It doesn't have to be me. Good heavens, no. But that is a part of then 
my daily pattern is working through these things so that I make sure that in, in, in my day I am doing what Jesus told me to do, how he modeled prayer. And the, the model he shows always starts with God, who he is, how great he is, how we honor and glorify him. And when we, because here's the thing, when, when you and I start with me, everything gets bigger. Everything seems to be a bigger problem. And I can get overwhelmed really quickly. But if I start with God, if I look at how good God is, if I look at how big God is, if I look at how infinitely powerful he is, if I look at all the ways over, over the centuries he has brought good out of evil, then suddenly if I'm in that mindset and then I bring to God my concerns, they're in context of a God for whom nothing is impossible, for a God who redeems the unredeemable, for God who created out of nothing, everything, including me. So I pray that His will be done on earth as it is in heaven in that context. And, and, and it's not that Jesus doesn't want us to pray for our needs, but He wants us to put them in the context God first. First commandment, you shall have no other gods. I'm not the God. He's the God. And that often then changes what and how I pray. It'll change how and what you pray. So I was thinking about that. It, this, this scripture, I love this scripture out of Romans 8 came to mind. And I just I want to share it with you. Paul writes, what shall we say then about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Not everything else I want, because lots of places in Scripture it says we pray according to God's will. In, the, in, in what Christ would want. But He will give us everything else we need. If God is on your side, my side, our side, this God who created the universe, does it really matter if the devil is against you? Does it really matter if there's a jerk at your office? Does it really matter if there's a kid at your school who says horrible things about you to your friends, it hurts, it's wrong. But if God is for you, ultimately, can anyone ever really, really be against you? It's only His opinion that matters. It's only His ideas, thoughts, ways that last forever. Our prayer team is going to be down here. And if you need to pray about something, you want them to pray over you on something you're struggling with, know that that's why they're there. We've got our prayer email prayer list, too, that you can do in the, in the bulletin and drop it in the boxes. And we have dozens of people every week who pray over those things. And, and Tom, who was up here last week to kick off this series, who's over our congregational care and our prayer staff member over our prayer ministry, is going to be teaching in September a class to go more in detail about prayer. 
on, not on Labor Day Sunday, but on the three Sundays after that. And we'll be getting information about that. It'll be during the 930 hour if that's something you want to do. And I hope some of you will. Remember our volunteer, and, and I already see Josh standing up over there in, in, in his shirt. And uh, we'd love for you to go and do that. If you're a guest here, I'm myself and some friends are going to be out here. and We'd love to say hello to you. If you brought some guests with you, bring them by. We'd love to say hello. But to close this service, instead of me, me just praying, I thought, why don't we pray together the Lord's Prayer? The prayer that Jesus modeled for us. He, he, remember, he said, pray like this. So it doesn't mean you always have to say it, but it doesn't hurt to say it as long as you mean it. So I want to challenge and encourage you as we put this on the screen that you don't just say the word, especially if you know it, okay? The danger is just to repeat them and just blah, 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 blah. Babble, babble, babble. Pray them. Would you stand and would you join me? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. God bless you. See you next week. To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.